I want you to imagine that you're, you're walking down a cobblestone street and you're winding your way through uh, the lane and you begin to hear sort of a dull roar of a crowd and you make your way to this great gate and you step inside and then the thing that strikes you is this amazing light, this, this glow, uh, the crowds in front of you uh, backlit by 75-foot lamps, massive oil lamps. And then you hear a man say, I am the light of the world. This is the backdrop for Jesus, one of Jesus' famous speeches, where he, he claims, he says that I am the light. There are seven different I am statements throughout the Gospel of John, one of which is, I am the light of the world. I'm about to read you that passage, but we have to ask ourselves, why light? And beyond the obvious, a light, we couldn't really function without it. Uh, the light of the sun, of course, or dependent upon it. But it, it certainly echoes, let there be light, no doubt. But also on a more personal level. Throughout the scriptures, the, the problem with humankind, our problem, is our heart's darkness. Have you ever been around somebody who's depressed? I'm, I'm, I'm saying clinically depressed. You, you can't reach them, and, and a lot of times uh, it's described, they describe this season as a season of darkness. Have you ever been in an organization or in a family system or in some kind of relationship of deceit, depression, deceit, where there's no truth? And in speaking the truth, in trying to speak the truth, there's a great threat maybe to your livelihood. Have you ever been under that kind of cloud? Have you ever tried to reach somebody who is in denial about what's really going on with themselves, seeking darkness, someone who darts for the, the shadows, and anytime you try to bring light to it, there's just this deflection and denial, depression, deceit, and denial. Our heart's darkness, the great problem upon which Jesus shines. Jesus is in this festival, in this time, when the 40 years of Israel's wandering in the wilderness is commemorated, a festival of booths or uh, the tabernacle festival. One of the, the symbols of this, and the, really the central symbol of it, are these great 75-foot oil lamps in the market, in the, in the, in the, 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 the main court, the, the court of women or the treasury where everyone would gather in the evenings. And, and, and this, this symbol of light, if you think back to what you remember about the Old Testament as the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, what guided them? How did they, how did they find their way? How did they remain in the light? 
they followed a pillar of fire at night and in a glowing cloud or the Shekinah glory cloud in the daytime. And so in this light, Jesus is, is making this statement about himself, about his identity. And the question for us this morning is this. How do we, with our heart's darkness, with our great need, how do we walk in that light? How do we stay in that light? We live in an age when people are, I think probably 50 years after, um, after so many cultural leaders in the West have said that we need to put religion, we need to put faith behind us. And we've learned time and time again how much we need not just to be led by ourselves, but to be guided and to walk in a light that's beyond us. From the Word of God, John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. Hear God's Word this morning. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither my father nor me. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, bless us now through your word. Bless it not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to enlighten it, that we may walk in your light, the light of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so let's take a look at, at, at following the light. Walking in the light through the word of God, through the worth of God and by the will of God. Word and worth and will. You got that? So we're talking about staying in the light. We're talking about the problem of the heart's darkness of depression and deceit and denial. I'm I'm sure that every one of you has, has thought of a situation where this applies. How do you bring light to those situations? How do you bring light to this whole side of the room? I just realized the light. This is not a good time for our lights to go out. This whole side of the the light has gone out. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. We'll get through it. We can still worship God without these spotlights on. It's fine. So word and worth and will, that's where we're going. Let's take a look at how to walk in the light. First of all, to, to walk in the light of the word is to have accountability, a word outside of you. Do you have, is there anybody speaking into your life? 
Do you have people around you? You know, about six months ago, Beth and I went to, uh, that's more about nine months ago, we went with five friends and um, did, a, did a little trip. And these are five different couples that we've stayed in, in touch with since college. And these are people who know what's going on with me, who can ask me tough questions. Do you have people in your life like that who can ask you the tough questions? That's just an analogy of having accountability. Because people without accountability, they, what do they do? When we're without accountability, we listen to our own little voice, our own little voice of rationalization, right? That's what we do. We seek the shadows through our own little voice that says, you know what? You can say that about her. She, she talks about you all the time. You know what? You can take credit for that. You work hard. You, you didn't do it, but you should take credit for it. It's fine. I mean, other people get credit for, ooh, let there be light. Other people, get, uh, other people get credit for things that you've done. You can take credit for that, right? Oh, you can, you can continue to harbor hate in your heart and not forgive that person. I mean, what they did was unforgivable, right? Our own little rationalizations, our own little word. You see, this is, this is exactly what is unfolding here with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders of the time. They knew that, that the testimony about Jesus. They're accusing him of saying that, 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 of making claims about himself that nobody else has made. They knew that if, it, just a short time before this that they had put John the Baptist in, in jail who had clearly borne witness of who Jesus is. They knew and they were, all, they were all enamored with John the Baptist. They were all out there repenting, right? They were all being baptized again. And here he is, he's pointing to, to Jesus. And as soon as it begins to threaten that little voice... See, they weren't worried about Jesus threatening orthodoxy. They weren't worried about whether or not the, 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 that what he was saying lined up with scriptures. They were ignoring the testimony of the scriptures as well. Isaiah is clear about the kind of Messiah that would come. They didn't even know. They, they called him you know, this Nazarene. They didn't even do their research to find out he was born in Bethlehem. You know, and, 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 and then another prophet who was at the same time as Isaiah, Micah, said, Oh, you, you, O Bethlehem, out of you shall be born one who shall lead his people. They knew that he would be a, the Messiah would be a suffering servant. They deflected him. They were in denial about him. They were in deceit. They, they wanted their own little voice to prevail in their lives. They didn't want accountability from the outside. They didn't want a word from the outside. Just like you and I do so often. Rationalize the things that we do. We listen to our own little voice. You know, some years ago, uh, a group of sociologists at Emory came together and did a nationwide uh, survey of people's faith. And they wanted to find out where, were, where, was, where is America now? Where, what do we believe? What is our doctrine? You know, what, are, what are the basic tenets of, of our faith these days? Let me read to you a passage from this, this book by Robert Bella and his group. A very famous section that's come to be known as Sheilaism. So... 
Here is this woman who was interviewed named Sheila, and she says, I can't remember the last time I went to church, but my faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. It's just my own little voice. It's just, and this is her doctrine, try to love yourself, be gentle with yourself, you know, I guess, take care of each other. Sheilaism. You know, that kind of fuzzy, that kind of fuzzy sense of belief, fuzzy doctrine, that lack of clarity, it's kind of a shadow, isn't it? It's a way of saying, here, here is where I stand in order to be wherever I want to be. It's a big, juicy rationalization to follow your own little voice. I was watching this... Uh, I was watching this presentation a few weeks ago from um, a guy, a, a famous professor at MIT. Famous, I'd never heard of him, but he was famous. And uh, he, was, he, was speaking about, uh, he was speaking to this big crowd, and he said, I want you all to, to close your laptops. He kept saying, he said this a couple of times, and, and then he called somebody out and said, shut your laptop. And uh, it's almost like shut your mouth, you know, shut your laptop, you know. And uh, he said, you know, you only have one language processor. There's only one word that can come to you at a time. So if you're looking at your screen, you can't hear my voice. Whose voice are you listening to? What, what's your language processor doing when, when you, you wake up in the morning? What, who are you listening to? Is, is there room in your life for a voice of accountability, a word outside of you? Or are you just listening to your own little voice. So how do we stay in the light? How do we become people of light? How do we walk in the light? First, we, we need to seek the word of God to have it dwell in us richly. And when Jesus was cut, he bled scripture. You, 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 the seven last words of Christ on the cross, the, 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 the scripture that came out of Christ when he was being wounded for our transgressions and pierced for our iniquity. The fulfillment, that's a quotation from Isaiah. He fulfilled those promises. And when he was being crushed, in his worst moments, what came out of him was light. The word. If Jesus spent so much time dwelling in the word of God, if Jesus so lined up his life with the word of God, how about you? How about me? Is there room for a word of accountability outside of you, or are you just following your own little voice? So if you want to be people of light, you've got you to stay with the word. You've got to know the word. You've got to memorize the word. You've got to meditate on the word. You've got to know this word. You've got to have this word in your life, in your heart, and not just your own little voice. Second, your worth. If you want to be a people of light, if you want to stay in the light, if you want to walk in the light, you have to know where your worth comes from. And people without, people who are their own worth, they're pursuing a sense of worth and significance and weightiness by their own, the strength of their own, their own might. Those people end up in the shadows of self-reproach. You cannot beat that voice of self-reproach on your own. You just can't do it. 
You know, it, it never ceases to amaze me when I meet people who are incredibly accomplished. When I meet people who you would say, boy, that, that person, they've got it all together. It's not long before I figure out just what's really driving sometimes. You know, when I, when I, when I look at people these days, I, don't, I, I see stories. You know, I see stories. And a lot of times I'm, I'm trying to figure out, is this person running from something or they, do they know what they're running towards? How about you? What's driving you? Is that internal murmur of self-reproach, is it quiet these days? Is it getting quieter as you go through life? How high does acclaim take you? How low does criticism bring you? People who are trying to deal with that, that sense of brokenness, which we all have, that, 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 those, that 3D problem of depression and deceit and denial, People who are trying to do that, deal with that on their own, they end up in the shadows of self-reproach. You see, what's happening here is Jesus is speaking to that. And the idea that, that we would be someone who needs someone else, you know, we rebuff that a lot of times. The, the Pharisees are, are people who who have created their own program, their own religious program, and it, it's all about increasing personal autonomy. And Jesus threatens that. It's not that they're saying, oh gosh, I can't believe you're making this claim about yourself and threatening our doctrine, again. It's that they're threatening their own program. You know, they're looking at Jesus as though he's... he's He's making this exclusive claim about himself and, and threatening world religions or threatening their religion. You know, Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't even, you know, when people object to the exclusive claims of Jesus, like they're defending Buddha or something, right? Yeah, Buddha needs defending, y'all, all right? He needs you to stand up for him because, you know, yeah, Jesus is not threatening Buddha. Buddha said, you know, there, there are two people in history about whom people said, not only who are you, but what are you? Whose lives were filled with such light and such integrity that people were incredulous about who were that? What are you? Not just who are you, but what are you? And you know, Buddha is one of those, and Jesus is the other one. And Buddha never pointed to himself. He always pointed to his dharma, his teaching. He said, don't follow me, follow my teaching. Jesus said, follow me. You see, Jesus is threatening your identity apart from God, and that's a good thing. And the Pharisees, the religious scholars, the leaders, they understood that. They were acting as though, you know, on the outside, they were acting as though, well, he's threatening, he's threatening religion. He's threatening our program. And they're acting like he's Muhammad Ali. Remember Muhammad Ali? You know, I'm the greatest, right? I'm the greatest, right? So I float like a butterfly sting like a bee, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was on an airplane one time. I don't know if this is urban legend, but this sounds really true. It's one of those preacher stories that actually sounds really true. So, so Muhammad Ali was on an airplane, and the uh, flight attendant said, you need to buckle up. And he said, Superman doesn't need a safety belt. 
And she said, Superman doesn't need an airplane, right? <laughs> I mean, they're acting, like, they're acting like he's Muhammad Ali, just boasting about himself. But see, when Jesus is making these claims, he's saying, you need light. It's not about himself. It's about you. It's about humanity. It's about our heart's darkness. There are these, there are these, many of these, seven of these statements, ego me, ego me, I, I am statements in the book of John. And where else do you see I am? You know, one of the famous ones later in this, in this um, chapter is before Abraham was, ego me, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. What that represents is, in the Old Testament, Yahweh. Yahweh. It's the most personal name for God that he ever gave himself. When Adam and Eve are walking in the garden, you can see in the book of Genesis, it uses the tetragrammaton, the, 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 the Yahweh name. Not just this categorical idea of God, not just God Almighty, not just God the provider, but, but the name of God. And Jesus is personalizing God. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the person of Christ. Are you, are you recognizing that that is where your worth comes from? If God himself would come and visit this planet, if God himself would take on flesh, that you're, if God himself would do what he did for you and for me, not, not just, just talking about what you've heard a thousand times about, but, but God would so value your life, so value human life that he would become a human being. Is there something more that needs to be said about your worth than that? Is there something more that could be said about the worth of your life than the fact that you are so valued by God that he would walk in our midst vulnerably in order to become a sacrifice? You know, I, I, after Beth got sick, I called up a... a Two of the churches that we were a part of and wanted to make sure that, uh, that people didn't hear about this sideways. I wanted to make sure that they heard it from me. And they're people we've, we keep in good touch with you know, uh, from Texas and from, from Chattanooga. And I called, up, uh, I called up the church in Texas, and they didn't know who I was. <laughs> that was quite a humbling moment. Hi, this is Tim Philston. I kind of expect them to say, oh, hey, Tim, how you doing? Oh, well, I don't know that I can give you the senior pastor's number. So, oh, okay. Um, well, maybe you could just have him, just let him know that Tim called and um, have him call me. And he called up all embarrassed. He said, I know you've been gone 20 years, but, uh, but they forget, you know. And uh, I said, well, I expect that. I understand that. I was uh, at Duke, another story. I was at Duke uh, with, with Beth. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago for her surgery, and uh, people kept coming up to me. And you know, my dad was a was a surgeon at Duke for for fifteen years. They said, "I heard your dad worked here." <laughs> yeah, yeah, he worked here for a long time. Uh, he built one of the departments here. How soon they forget? You know, if if your worth, if your identity and your worth is in your, the sweat of your brow. What are you doing with your life? I mean, what are you doing with your work? Are you working just so that you can feel good about you, or is it, is it going outward? 
You see, when, when Jesus did what he did, he did it for the sake of other people. If you're going to walk in light, you have to have a worth that's bigger than a world that's passing away. doesn't mean that what we do isn't significant. It is significant for the sake of others. But if it's just to build your own sense of worth, then you're going to end up in the shadows of self-reproach again and again and again. And finally this, if we're going to walk in the light, we have to walk in the light of God's will. His word, his worth, his will. You see, willful people want to stay in the shadows. You know that, right? I mean, willful people want to stay in the shadows. They feel bad. And then they want to draw other people into the shadows because misery loves what? It loves company, right? So it's like, I'm in the shadows. I'm feeling bad. I want you here too. And so we begin to question everything. We begin to try to deconstruct everything. I mean, deconstruction is... It, it, it is the MO, it's the modus operandi of our age. I mean, everything is taken apart as meaningless. Why? Because we don't want accountability. We want our own will to prevail. We want to be in charge of, I want to be in charge of me. Right? We're a willful people. We end up, though, in the shadows, and we end up sort of dismantling everything meaningful because we feel bad. We want others to join us in our misery, right? We need a will that's bigger than our will. We need a will that's, that looks beyond the moment. You know, there, I heard this story about, um, true story of, of a college pastor who was speaking about the truth claims of Christ and some of the I am's that Jesus claimed. And there was a girl who kept uh, showing up at these talks and she would always try to dismantle it. She would she would just, and, and, and it wasn't like she was really trying to figure this out. It wasn't like these were honest questions. You know when someone's asking an honest question, right? You know, it's like, help me understand this. Help me um, figure this out. I really want to know, is this true? But no, she was asking a question, as, as Kierkegaard said, to suck out whatever meaning is there and leave an emptiness behind. One of the great philosophers of the modern age is Aldous Huxley, and he said this. I had a motive for not wanting the world to have any meaning. Did you hear what I said? I had a motive. I had a reason for not wanting the world to have any meaning. This is, this is one of the great philosophers of the modern age. You, you've read a book by him. I'm sure you, you all have probably read Fahrenheit 451. He said, I had a, had a motive for not wanting the world to have any meaning. He said, consequently, I assumed it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essential, an essential instrument of liberation, sexual and political. Back to the story about the girl. This is exactly what was going on with this college girl. She'd been sleeping around. She'd even been, she'd even been using her body, prostituting her body with certain professors to get a, a grade. And she was feeling horrible about herself. She didn't want the truth claims of Jesus to be true because she would recognize that, that she needed, 
she needed to be accountable to, to a will outside of her own. And one, one night she stayed behind and she, would, she really pummeled this, this pastor with questions. And he said, time out just a minute. Let's stop arguing about all these, these different points. Let me, do you know who Jesus is? I mean, do you know what he did? And he just told her the gospel. The gospel of a God who, who sacrificially demonstrated what's called unconditional love. Unconditional love. And, you know, she'd never heard that before. She'd never heard put quite that way, quite that personally. And it melted. It melted her. melted her arguments. And she realized all of this isn't intellectual. It's personal. It's me just not wanting to face up. It's me in denial about me. And she began to trust in Christ. People who walk in darkness, who, who find the light of life like this girl did, they become what Jesus says, what the Lord says really through Isaiah, that, that when you walk in that light, you begin to reflect that light. Did you know that? When you're walking in that light, you begin to reflect that. You may not even be aware of how you're reflecting that light. Isaiah 60 says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick dark darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's why one of the verses of, of the hymns, the carols we sung this morning, says this, O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness to light. I want to ask you, what word is speaking into your life? What worth is grounding your life? What will, what light of the will of God are you following? Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the light of life through the gospel of Christ, that he left us such clarity in the actions of his life, that he left, left us such clarity, such vis, visual picture, such a visual picture of what he did through his word. God, would you speak that word into us of, of worth? Would you help us to have ears to hear the will of you, the voice of God, not our own little voice. Would you brighten our days with the hope and the promise of the coming kingdom? In Jesus' name.